Welcome to the All Things Nintendo Podcast. I'm Brian Shea from Game Informer, and this is a weekly podcast to discuss all the biggest news and games from the world of Nintendo. We are still kind of in a dead zone following the holidays, but we have a few topics to talk about, so we have a bit of news to cover, then we're going to get some impressions on another code, Recollection, and then we'll wrap up with eShop Gem of the Week and the return of Everybody Votes. Joining me for all that is Game Informer's Marcus Stewart. Marcus, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's been a while, I think. It has been, yeah. Wes and Kyle have kind of been dominating the guest spot on All Things Nintendo lately, so I'm happy you're back, though. We have like we we've been kind of in this drought spot, like where there hasn't been a whole lot of Pokemon news. But since you are on, <laughs> that means one thing only: we have Pokemon news. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Well, all right. Well, I'm glad the tradition continues. I mean, it only happens recently, anyway, when we have number one Pokemon fan Marcus Stewart on. Yes. Uh, what's the last Pokemon game you played? I think we've talked about this before, but what is the last time you played a Pokemon game? Oh, man, probably Pokemon Go when that first came out. And, you know, it was like the, the pop culture phenomenon. So it's been a good eight years since you've played a Pokemon game. <laughs> yeah. And I guess if you want to talk like a proper entry, it was Platinum, which was the first game I had played since like the first generation. And oh, Platinum man. was what, like 2010, 2009? I don't know. Got to get you back on the Pokemon train. You should check out... Uh... I mean, I, the one that I think is a good re-entry point is XY, uh, but like, you know, you have to have a 3DS in order to do that. Yeah, I, I have like, uh, what was it, Legends Arceus? Like, I have that on my Switch wish list. That's a list. good one. Oh, I, it's on your I, wish I, list. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's almost there. That's like halfway there, you know? Yeah, <laughs> all, all you need to do now is actually spend real money and fire it up and put put the real time into it and then you'll say hey i played legends arceus i mean i do the foolish thing of like i'll get this when it's on sale knowing damn well at the lowest it's ever going to be is like maybe 45 dollars yeah. <laughs> a first party or nintendo published title very rarely goes on sale and if it does it's like ten dollars off yeah we need they need to talk to valve about how to do a, a discount Hey, they have good deals on uh, on non Nintendo games, like on on the Switch eShop. Like I've gotten a, like a, the eShop gem that I'm talking about later on in the show. I think I got for three bucks, something like that. Uh, okay. But circling back to this Pokemon news, thankfully for you, anyway, it's not huge news. But we did get an epilogue chapter to Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, which I don't know how many people are going to actually experience this because, you know, it has a lot of backlash. A lot of people fell off after beating the original game and it makes it kind of hard to go back to. I experienced that myself where the the expansions came out and I went to go try them out and I'm like, oh my God, like it still haven't fixed the, the performance issues. And it made it really difficult to go from like these even more smooth next gen experiences that we get on PS5 and Xbox Series X and going back to the to Scarlet and Violet and like the the really bad frame rate and performance that we got with those games going back to them now is even harder so i don't know how many people actually are going to have the requirements to experience this epilogue chapter because you have to basically beat all the content in the game including the expansions in order to access it huh did but, i I mean, does the do you know if the epilogue comes with like a performance patch? Does it is it the it epilogue to the uh, the <laughs> I was like, is it an epilogue for the technical issues too? Or? At this point, I'm just I've got to hope against all hope that we get like a third version of this game for Switch Two whenever that comes out, and like that's a launch title. And it's like 
Scarlet and Violet, but it works. <laughs> See, like, that would be almost an indictment of like, is that them? They're saying like, oh, the hardware was the problem, not the not the optimization in the game. It was the hardware. I mean, I, I have a feeling it's a little bit of both, but yes, it's. I think it's primarily the optimization because then you look at something like Tears of the Kingdom and it runs pretty smooth most of the time. Yeah. Um, but with this epilogue, the the big news out of the epilogue anyway is that we get a new mythical Pokemon. And it is a ghost poison type named uh, Picharunt. Wait, what? Picha. Picha, Picharunt, Pecharunt. Okay. We'll go with Pecharunt. That feels better coming off the tongue. And it basically has like this kind of like shell exterior when it's like kind of just like chilling. And then I guess it looks like the shell opens up when it wants to battle. And then it can perform all sorts of different attacks. It actually has this really powerful ability. I was reading more about Pecharunt. And... Uh, if it poisons an enemy with an, one of its attacks, the enemy also becomes confused, which okay. that's very powerful because that's two status ailments at once. And if you've played a Pokemon game, you know that confusion is one of the most annoying. I mean, I guess it's most I think RPGs. It's, it's the best status uh, ailment that you can inflict. When it happens to you, it sucks. <laughs> but, yes. but like as a kid, when you, before you get the nuance of Pokemon in terms of like your moveset, you're like, oh, if it doesn't deal damage, I don't want it. Yes. Um, but like confusion was like the one was like, oh, actually, that like screws up everything for them. <laughs> yeah. And they can hit themselves. So that was always like a instant. Yes, please. I'll take that. Now, I, I actually don't remember because I know that it has an attack that inflicts uh, bad poison or badly poisoned. Oh, and okay. I don't know if it's has to be badly poisoned or just regularly poisoned. In Wait, order is, to, that, is there degrees of poison? In there Pokemon? are two degrees of po uh, poison in Pokemon. Oh, OK. Was that always the case? Maybe I just don't remember. I, I think it was introduced in Gen 2 or 3. I'm OK, not, it was I'm like, man, like this, sure. this, this. He is poisoned. Yeah, <laughs> and now it's like, like badly poisoned. OK, they need to add a third one of like, I don't know. Triple poison. Just lethally poison. It kills you on the next turn. Yeah, your Pokemon's like doubled over, just like looking at you <laughs> over his shoulder, like, help, help me, please, antidote. Um, that would require them to add extra animations with Stasis oh, yeah. Will Not. That's true. You got to wait for Switch 2 to get that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's also a release uh, celebration that they are doing where if you don't want to buy all these expansions, you can get the Neo Kitakami case for your in-game Rotom phone using, and this is like a foreign language for you at this point, uh, using the mystery gift functionality of Scarlet and Violet. So if you want to use that, the password is Neo Rotom Cover. If you go into this, the mystery gift functionality of the game, and that should give you a, a new phone case for your character. Oh, so that, great. That's I, fun. I guess, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I was pretty disappointed that Scarlet and Violet never really got the performance patch that it really needed like i do i, I stand by the the sentiment that like it has there's a really great game underneath all the nastiness of the performance of that game but i will say I, I will fully admit that i have kind of been itching to get back to play the expansions like i enjoyed that game a lot it's just like it's so like jarring to go back to it but is there any chance you will ever pick this game up marcus i mean probably not as long as the performance issues are there because it's like it's already it already takes a lot for me to play a good one of these. So like <laughs> to, to play the one that everyone says like runs like crap is like, well, why maybe I could either play one of the older ones or just wait for the next mainline one. But like, I mean, that's what makes the story frustrating, right? Like in a way it would be an easier pill to swallow if 
Scarlet and Violet were bad games on top of being broken because then you could be like, well, even if it worked, it's just not good. So I'm not going to play it. But like knowing like this, this is really cool or I like this, but it's just like fighting me every step of the way that that's like infuriating i would imagine you know yeah it, it's so frustrating and then like you know a lot of people jumped on me for my score i think i gave it an 8.25 out of 10 yeah because they're like oh what you say like it's broken and all this other stuff but it's like yeah but there's a really good game underneath of it like it's just it, it's so hard to to assign a score to a game like that where it's like, like what would you score if it worked fine i mean it would probably be in the nines if it worked well you know and that was the same thing with pokemon legends arceus i think i gave that an 8.75 and it's like this game would easily be in the nines if it didn't have the performance issues i mean the performance issues are nowhere near as bad on uh arceus as they are in scarlet and violet but like yeah i mean it 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 was probably at least a full point docked for those performance issues on scarlet and violet okay like that again one of the best pokemon games it just runs like garbage yeah, I um, I mean, I know this isn't a Nintendo thing, but like, uh, as of the time that I guess we people will be listening to this, uh, Pal World just hit early access. Yeah, it's like the the Pokemon with gun game. I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but listening to Alex play it, who's like a huge Pokemon fan, he's he's talked about how one of the best things about it is like playing a open world Pokemon esque game that looks and runs great, <laughs> and it just makes you long for that even more. For like, why can't the mainline series just look and run this well? <laughs> It would be nice. I mean, that that's my biggest hope, I think, as we, I, I, I mean, presumably prepare to transition into this next generation of Nintendo consoles or Nintendo systems or platforms or whatever you want to call it, since it's a hybrid that we're presuming again. I hope that that means that we're going to get the open world Pokemon. I hope that the combination of Game Freak having two mainline entries under their belt making games for consoles plus a more powerful system will give us what Scarlet and Violet should have been. Yeah. I mean, regardless of even the hardware, it's like, they can't do that. They can't do this again. <laughs> like they can't, this is technically the second time, you know, counting Arceus, like you said, um, it's like, they had to have like, I like, regardless of the fact that these games print money, they have to know that whatever comes next, like it has to be on point. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if Nintendo even because remember like that was a rare thing where like Nintendo actually put out a tweet like apologizing for the the state of the game when it launched oh which right they never do I wonder if Nintendo sees that and is like kind of behind the scenes going to Game Freak and being like hey like I know you guys are a small team like do you need some support from us like your like, what, partners what's, what's up y'all good like it's like, it's like Tears of the Kingdom and Breath of the Wild were de- uh, developed alongside Monolith it's it's not like Nintendo never gets help from its support studios. So Game Freak has almost stubbornly remained this very small studio, despite producing the the main games of the highest grossing entertainment franchise on the planet. So I wonder if Nintendo is going to kind of intervene and be like, hey, like we want to help you and you're going to accept our help, even though they've they're not owned by Nintendo in any way. They're kind of a publishing partner and like have this we, we have this whole thing of like this weird relationship between all the stakeholders in the Pokemon franchise between Game Freak, the Pokemon company, Creatures and Nintendo and like somewhere on GameInformer.com explains it. It's a very complicated web, but like I would assume Nintendo has some say in like being like, hey, you're an exclusive game on our fr- on our platform. 
we want it to run well. So I'm wondering if they would maybe kind of strong arm them into accepting a little bit of help to, at least on the optimization side. I know Miyamoto has to poke his head in, but like, y'all making us look bad. What's going on over here? Like, he's gonna be like, <laughs> Why does he sound like Mario from like the early 90s cartoon? Okay, what the hell are y'all doing over here? We got this new Switch coming out. Why y'all making this? Why we, games run better here? Why y'all making it look like it doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> I think he went through like three different accents there. <laughs> well, he has to start out by saying, this is Miyamoto. This is Miyamoto. <laughs> I, got, I got some things to say about the way you guys are uh, making these Pokemon games lately. Uh, that, it's weird how he started every single interview answer that I asked him uh, with this is Miyamoto. Yeah, well, I mean, that's you got to let him know, right? Like, that's just like his new, um, you know, how like uh, when Dwayne Johnson, when he was the rock, he refers to himself in the third person. Yes, I think he's in he's in that phase of his career. The, you smell the, what Miyamoto is developing. Exactly. He's like Miyamoto says that, uh, you know, Mario movie two is going to make a two billion dollars. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> What's that's Miyamoto what saying when you make a lot of money? What's Miyamoto saying about the switch too? Because that's what I want to know. And uh, Marcus, wouldn't you know it? That's our next news story here. Uh, last episode, I had Wes on and we did bold predictions for Nintendo's 2024. And my prediction was that the Nintendo Switch 2, or whatever it ends up being called, would come out in September of this year. And then uh, we got some, maybe a leak, maybe not. Late last week, Game Shark. Did you ever have a Game Shark growing up? I never had it but i knew all about it just because i had friends that used it but i i myself never had it i had one for both game boy and sega genesis and i remember that was my preferred way to play sonic was with a game shark with different codes and everything so basically for people who don't know what a game shark is it back in the days of cartridges you would put the game shark cartridge into the the system first and then you would put the cartridge on top of that and what that would do is it would enable you to it, it, you may have heard that the other one of its competitors, Game Genie, which was kind of the more prominent version of it. Right. It would allow you to before the game booted up, you would input codes that you would be able to find either in uh, magazines back in the day or once the Internet became readily available, you could find them on the Internet. These Game Shark codes that would allow you to do stuff like either like basically it was like mods for consoles. Like I had one for Sonic that was like, if you if Sonic gets hit by an enemy, the rings will scatter everywhere, but he won't his ring counter won't get reset to zero. So if you have like 50 rings, and you get hit 50 rings will go flying, but you'll just be able to collect those and keep adding to your total. So you'll eventually just keep getting rings every time you get hit or like you can turn into supersonic without having any chaos emeralds. And um, like for Pokemon, for example, that was the one that I, I had so much fun, like modding Pokemon using Game Shark on my, my Game Boy. And I would make it so that like any wild Pokemon that you encounter, you could set it to whatever you want. So I would have it so like, oh, like when you go to like in red and blue, you go to the area where it's like Caterpies and Pidgeys, it would just be like, here's Mew. <laughs> <laughs> you know that was the only way you could get Mew back then because they they never actually officially released him in in Pokemon Red and Blue, aside from that that contest that I think was only in Japan. Right. But anyway, um, so that that was what a Game Shark used to be. Obviously, cheat codes are not really a thing that much anymore, and all the stuff that Game Shark probably once did are, is now kind of behind microtransactions at this point. <laughs> um, and or just outright 
outlawed by like the the end user agreement that <laughs> developers make you sign and scroll to the bottom of it at the start of every video game now. Yeah. Um, so they're adapting to what they are now. Now it's uh, an AI product, which which what else, what isn't at this point? And it's going to be aimed at giving players hints and assistance while they play. So I guess like if you're playing, it'll say, "Hey, you could do this better." Which yeah, that sounds like a, a reasonable pivot and a reasonable application of AI. But we're getting getting to the reason that we're talking about Game Shark here is that late last week, in a press release, they sent out like this product is planned to launch. It says, "quote The official launch is planned to coincide with the Nintendo Switch 2 in September 2024." Hmm. So that that raised some eyebrows, as you might imagine. And it's yeah. yeah. It's kind My of them joke. living up to their name. Like they used to be the cheat code for uh, games. Now they're the cheat code for console release dates. It's just like if you, it's like, oh, I, we found out the date before everyone else because I use GameShark. <laughs> My joke was AI continues to ruin everything. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. This sounds like it, it could be substantial news, but they also may just be guessing, right? Like they might just be saying like, oh, we think that it's going to launch around this time. And they might just be going off the same information I was when I made my prediction last episode. But like, what do you think they were going off of with this? I mean, I'm I don't think it's like a, a stretch to say that I fully expect a Switch successor by the time this year ends, um, whether announced or released, maybe both. Um, so I could see like I, I that doesn't sound unreasonable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, okay, like holiday, yeah, early fall, so you got time to to get it, and then, you know, it's available for, for Christmas and all that stuff. So, like, I could see that being the case. It's weird that they worded it like that, if it's supposed to be a guess, because the way it f- was phrased kind of sounded like, oh, no, we know it's September, not like, oh, no, we we expect September, you know? It's just like, nope, September. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's interesting, if, if, if that wasn't the intent. Um. But yeah, like I said, like I, when I saw that report, I was like, okay, there might not be, this might not be 100% true, but there must be something to it. Because at this point, there's there's almost no way there's not a Switch 2 announcement this year, <clears throat> at the very least, right? Yeah, I mean, that Wes and I talked a little bit about like, do you think that this is the year that we get the Switch 2 or is it just the year we get the announcement of the Switch 2? And I think we both landed on the side of the fence that this is the year that we get the Switch 2. Like we we both, he predicted November, I predicted September. So we'll see where we actually end up. But like we both were like, yeah, 2024 is the year we get a new Switch console or a new Nintendo console. I mean, the last few consoles, correct me if I'm wrong, but like from announcement to launch, they've all been like, less than a year right like they usually don't announce a console that far out before it releases like it's like six months tops right because like the switch when that was announced versus like launched that wasn't like a full year wasn't it um well was it only just a few months between i'm looking at wii u right now well the switch was only a few months for sure i'm just trying to see like what the wii u's announcement was um it was t so e3 2011 and then it came out november 2012 so yeah it's been a okay so that one's a little longer the wii u had about a year and a half okay i wonder okay maybe this will be shorter just for the if it is just sort of like a souped up version of the switch you know obviously i don't know anything about hardware when it takes to to put it together but on paper okay maybe that's like because it's not a completely different thing again uh, this is going conjecture that they can do a shorter like marketing ramp up of like hey you know that thing that you like that makes us a ton of money we made 
the other we made the better version of that that is like actually a successor it's coming out in a few months surprise uh like it feels doable for them but i guess we'll see yeah i mean i i've said my predictions on this show pretty frequently here but you know, I, I I would not expect them to go too far from the success that the, the Switch brought them just because we saw what happened when they were like, okay, well, we just need to innovate and make something completely different. Let's do the Wii U. And I do think that like the, the messaging will be key and also the, the kind of the naming convention will be key because like the Wii U was so confusing because the system itself looked like a Wii kind of and it it was called the Wii U so even Jimmy Fallon when they like did a big segment with him pr- prior to launch he was like hey we're going to talk about the Wii U it's this new controller for the Wii it has like a screen on it and everything and then like Reggie came up to him after and like in, in the commercial break and <laughs> corrected him yeah he broke he uh, threatened him <laughs> like, say that one more time I'm going to throw you through that wall <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that's enough of the switch to predictions here uh let's move on to what we have now marcus we have two new games on nintendo switch online's game boy advanced library Woo! uh golden sun and golden sun the lost age are available now and i'm gonna be real with you i've never played these games but i know they have so much love within the community have you played either of these nope never have but i've always been curious about them as a rpg fan and so this news is uh good for me too yeah, so, I mean, they're bona fide classics, as I said. Like, Golden Sun has a 91 on Metacritic, and The Lost Age has an 86 on Metacritic. And a lot of people consider them some of the best RPGs of all time. And it's nice to finally have them available on the Switch, uh, you know, as we talk about the Switch's, what we assume is the final year of this console. Yeah, and then we have to buy it again on the Switch, too. I hope not. I swear to God, if they start over all the libraries, like, hey, we're bringing Nintendo Switch Online forward, and we're back, and guess what? Super Mario Brothers and Super Mario Brothers 3 are the launch titles. It's like, oh my god. Okay, wiping that slate clean. We'll see the Nintendo 64 library added in 2027. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, both of those are available now on Nintendo Switch Online plus Expansion Pack's Game Boy Advance Library. And then uh, here's a pretty unexpected announcement. Ace Combat 7, Skies Unknown, is coming to Switch. Which, where did this come from? This came out on on other platforms in 2019. And it's just like basically like a, a fighter jet game. And I mean, I guess because it's... Those games are pretty like high fidelity, like, like pretty graphics driven games. Maybe it yeah. just took that long to get that to to fit on a switch in a way doesn't totally compromise the experience is this a cart game or is this like a cloud game i think it's like a a local game i don't i didn't see anything that said it was a cloud game okay i mean maybe the the, the funny the funny thing is is that like they use like i remember watching because andrew reiner our former editor-in-chief reviewed it i remember going into his office and he was reviewing it and he there was a cut scene playing and it was like people talking and they were obviously computer animated people but then there was a dog sitting like on the runway with the people and the dog was very obviously a like a photo of a real dog it was like what are we doing here like it was a still image like it wasn't moving or anything yeah it was just a still image of a real dog 
Oh, that's great. And it was such a strange thing. I need to find that at some point. See, that's like, what took so long. They were like, how do we get this still image to look as good on the Switch? <laughs> they don't have the fidelity to to make that real dog look real. Um, but this version gives you all the DLC, all the added content, and uh, a music player mode and special cosmetics that they say celebrate the series past. I don't have any history with the ace combat series but uh ace combat played the demos on playstation that's the most i ever played like in those playstation underground discs for like the first or second ace combat game oh, man the playstation and then I would all, underground discs i would always stall the plane out because i would try to do the thing like oh how high can i fly and then the, <laughs> the plane would be like start Not nose diving you're like pull up what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> those are always the funnest things to do with those games right it's just like let's see how we can break this billion dollar fighter jet that you know doesn't really have any yeah you're like i bet i could go into space with this (laughs) imagine if you actually broke through and got out into space and then there was like a whole space thing that nobody else knew about that was programmed into the game oh i tried so hard i for some reason my little kid brain was convinced though like i bet this thing could go into orbit i just have to try harder that's all you almost unlocked starfield before starfield existed yeah i had better (laughs) no load screens back then it was you just (laughs) go as high as you wanted it was great but anyway, Ace Combat 7 Skies Unknown Deluxe Edition comes to Switch on July 11th. And then the final news piece that we're going to talk about today, we learned more about Lunar Lander Beyond, which is a reimagining of the classic Atari game from the developer that made Chris Tales, which I did not think that would be the developer that would take on the Lunar Lander franchise. Yeah, um, right? Like, what a... Is it a franchise? I've only ever heard of, like, the just Lunar Lander. Were there sequels? There were like spiritual successes, so I guess maybe not a franchise, but now it's a franchise. Oh, well, there we go. So it's like a reimagining and it's like, you know, like I think they said like there are like 30 levels and you can explore around different like celestial bodies and like you're basically just piloting a craft through these areas. I don't know how exactly the combat and everything works, but we got a cinematic trailer showcasing the art style that we saw in Chris Tales and then a bit more gameplay. And I will say that the game is looking pretty cool. Um, especially when you take into consideration the starting point they had with the super simple concept of the original Lunar Lander, which was literally land on the moon over and over again, (laughs) just land on different, like varying terrain and everything. Hey, do you think they put this out now because we're going back to the moon with that, like the, 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 the mission now where we're sending the the probe of whatever up to the moon? No, I don't think they did that. Um, Do you think that's why that's happening? They talked to NASA or SpaceX, whoever's doing it or like, Hey, we got this. We got a way we can promote this if you guys want. I'm you guys sure heard of Lunar that Lander? Was, that was just, you know, synergy, right? Corporations are all about synergies. And yes. I'm sure that that's what they actually were And when they were talking about like, hey, I bet if we get this game out by the time they get to the moon, that'll be great viral marketing for this game. Yeah. Um, but I did an email Q&A with the director and producer of the game, and they talked a lot about expanding the Lunar Lander universe through this game. And you can head to GameInformer.com to read more about that. The and, Lunar Lander universe. Yeah, there's a lot of like interesting I mean, stuff that they're doing where like you can have different pilots that join your team, almost like XCOM style, where like different pilots join your team and they have different skills and like they have like there's they have like a stress meter that like causes like stuff to happen if your stress meter gets too high, like almost like a like a, a breakdown almost. And like the tension of like different things happening will affect your your pilots and like different pilots handle things better based on their different stats. 
they're doing some interesting stuff with this game and it's definitely expanding beyond like that very simplistic original concept i hope the the lunar lander universe is just the rest of the solar system <laughs> it seems like it it's might just be. like hey you know we could land this this thing on other planets you know we could the sequel could be mars <laughs> uh neptune who knows yeah neptune or lander oh there you Is go anything is that something yeah i think yeah you know uh neptune not as blue as we thought it was by the way saw like a report saying that the you know how the pictures of neptune are like super blue yeah uh, those are fake and those have always been fake like those were just enhanced to show the details of the atmosphere and that because they released the tr- like first true image of neptune and it's disappointing because it's like the same kind of dull green that uranus is so they almost look indistinguishable i believe it's pronounced uranus to avoid confusion <laughs> right 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 yes that's the the, the greek name yeah yes or the roman name i should say <laughs> and uh, nobody tell eiffel 65 that it's not quite as blue as we thought it was yeah oh they're they're in a fit right now <laughs> they write their hit song yeah <laughs> um but that game lunar lander is scheduled to release sometime in the first half of 2024 and i know i'm gonna check it out so i'll probably talk about it on this podcast yeah i'd be curious to see how it is yeah atari's been doing some good stuff with uh like the atari 50 collection i was not a big fan of the berserk uh recharged i think it was called i think that that they it just wasn't what i was hoping for with right. the reimagining of that franchise but there's uh there's some good stuff that they're doing with this and like the acquisitions they've been making and everything so uh yeah hotels coming back the hotel yeah i uh I'm I'm looking forward to staying in the Atari Hotel in Las Vegas, probably in like 2027 or 2028, whenever that finally opens. Yeah, hopefully that lasts longer than the Star Wars Hotel did. <laughs> oh man, that was what a disaster that ended up being. I wish but, I uh, got to go to that. In <laughs> Orlando with me, <laughs> so you said you did get to go? No, no, no I said I wish I oh. did since I was so close to it. Yeah, um, but you know, money. Yeah, that, from what I hear, it was very expensive and you did not get much for the experience. Yeah, Atari should do the same thing where it's like, it's it's a role play of 70s Atari while you're there. So like you just go to hot tub meetings <laughs> and just get and do a lot of drugs. <laughs> and Nolan Bushnell is there for some reason. Yeah, like they have a Nolan Bushnell actor. He's <laughs> just hanging out with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, Marcus, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we will be learning all about the first Nintendo published title of 2024, another code recollection. We'll be right back. As we covered a couple of weeks ago, Nintendo has a decent first quarter ahead of it. And this week sees its first release as a publisher of 2024. It's not Mario, it's not Zelda. It is a collection of games from a series called Another Code that originally started on Nintendo DS. Another Code Recollection gathers Another Code 2 Memories and Another Code R, Journey into Lost Memories. 2 Memories was known as Trace Memory in the US and then it released for the DS in 2005 while Journey into Lost Memories came out only in Europe and Japan in 2009. So Marcus, with all that out of the way, you've had a chance spend some time with these games give me a little background for i would say probably the majority of the listeners here as to what this series even is and you know because when they announced it on nintendo direct last year i was like i've never heard of these games in my life 
I had the exact same reaction. I'm like, what is, what are these remakes of? What? Okay. Um, funny enough, as I was um, looking up stuff about the games, uh, former editor Kim Wallace actually has a article from 2012 of like 10 of the 10 best, like under the radar graphic novel adventures and, and trace memory is on it. So apparently she was a fan um but yeah like the series or at least that first game that only came to the u.s or or did come to the u.s has a bit of a cult following which i guess would explain this remake uh i like to mention before uh it's like another code recollection pretty much takes both of those games and remakes them pretty much from the ground up like i've been uh i'm pretty deep into the first game and i've been watching footage of trace memory as i've been playing kind of to see the differences and it's 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 pretty night and day like they put a lot of work into this so the general story premise of at least the first game because uh the thing about uh recollection is that unfortunately you can't choose which game you want to play you have to play the first game another code two memories to get to the second game oh interesting yeah which can be annoying like the advanced wars reboot did the same thing like you couldn't play advanced wars 2 until you beat advanced wars 1 though at least this might be a little better one because when i looked up on how long to beat to see how long both of the original games were apparently trace memory was like five-ish hours and the sequel is like 15 plus hours so if that's still the case here, then like probably three fourths of recollection is the second game. <laughs> so at least it won't take you too long to get to it if you want to play that one. But they also changed a lot of the first game where even if you still have some pretty vivid memories of playing it, it's you're going to be in for like a different experience when it comes to puzzle solving. So I can only talk about the first game because I haven't, I just haven't hit uh, another code two yet. But the story premise is that you play as this 13-year-old girl named Ashley who is traveling to this mysterious island with her adoptive aunt because she finds out that her dad, who she thought was dead her entire life, is actually alive and well on this island. And out of nowhere, he reaches out to them and says, like, hey, come see me. And it also turns out that the aunt knew that he was alive this whole time, but for whatever reason, the dad told her to tell his daughter that he's dead um so that mystery set up you're like hey what's going on in this island why did my dad basically lie to me his whole life um also your mom is dead and there's some stuff with that of like how does she die and so you get to this island and then almost immediately jessica goes missing your aunt so now you're trying to find your aunt and where your dad is and it takes you to this mansion where the bulk of the game takes place but right before you get there, you meet a ghost named D, who's this this child. He's pretty much the same age as you, who passed away 60 years ago in like the 1940s. And he has no memory of how he died or what his life was like. He just kind of knows that he lived in that house and he needs your help trying to piece together his memories. So the two kind of form a, a bit of a kinship because they're ultimately both trying to find out the truth about their their past and their parents um and the game at least in the original trace memory it was a top-down game you know since it was on the uh the original ds like the top screen was kind of where cutscenes and like your map and information was whereas at the bottom screen it was like a top-down like just it was just like a top-down perspective where you just steered ashley around in recollection it's a traditional like behind the back third person fully explorable 3d environments it's got full voice acting which the uh, first game did not have Mm -hmm. and it's 
like I, it's like puzzle solving with like graphic novel. I will say the graphic novel side of it, it's not as dense with text as a lot of graphic novels can be. Like whenever I think of like graphic novels that are basically books, I think of games like uh, nine hours, nine persons, nine doors, which is a great game, but it's a lot of reading. Visual this novels, one, right? Say again? Visual novels or graphic novels? Oh, well, I guess like visual novels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Whereas this one, like the the text isn't nearly as much like, and also helps that they have uh, some quality of life improvements of like, you can hit autoplay on the text. You don't have to skip through it with a button. You can just sit back and watch it like a movie until it's time to play again, which is nice. Um, and like I said, the the bulk of the game takes place in the mansion. You're, you're going room to room, solving puzzles and finding keys. Very much like, I you know, for lack of a better term, I guess, like Resident Evil style. You know, you'll be like, oh, okay, this key, I need a specific shaped key to get into this weird room that's got this symbol, so I need to keep an eye out for that. And Mr. X is constantly on your tail. Exactly, which would, maybe he is. <laughs> this is not a scary game for those wondering. Like, it is not a horror game, but, like, I guess the spookiest thing is your ghost friend, but he's, like, a friendly ghost. <laughs> um, and uh, the sort of your main tool for puzzle solving is this device that is called the DAS, though in the original it's interesting and kind of funny where in Trace Memory, the 2005 game, the device looked like a DS. Like it just straight up looked like the original version of the DS that you just used to take pictures and and keep uh, pretty much notes of everything you did. And now in the remake, it looks like a fake Switch. And it threw me for a loop because I started playing this before I started looking up footage of the first game. So when I saw that, I was like, wait, there's no way this looked like a switch back in 2005. Did it? <laughs> I was like, was this weird? Was this game like weirdly prophetic? Well, I mean, that, that's kind of like how with, you know, breath of the wild, the, the, the pad looked like a Wii U game pad. Right. And then in tears, of the kingdom, it suddenly looked like a switch. Yeah. Like, yeah. They updated the technology to reflect the tech of the time. Yeah. So that's, that's like a funny little touch. And um, I've only heard this from Kyle. Cause I was talking to Kyle about this game and he told me that his wife is a big fan of trace memory. And he mentioned that the original version of the game had some pretty, was one of the games that used the DS uh, in unique ways for puzzle solving. Like you said, I think that was the first game that required you to close the system to solve a puzzle. Like I think even pre Phantom Hourglass. Oh, weird. And so like, Obviously, a lot of those puzzles have been reworked for uh, the Switch release because even in the beginning, I was as I'm watching the YouTube uh, walkthroughs of the first game, there's like whole puzzles that have been removed and replaced with something completely different. Like the original, like the first puzzle in the original is like this drawbridge that you have to drop. Mm -hmm. That's completely gone. And now you have to just kind of open this gate and it's just a completely different sequence that you need to do to get through it. And there's other examples like that early on. I don't know how much of that uh holds true for the rest of the experience but i've been surprised about like oh okay they just took a bunch of stuff out and just replaced it it's not like they just modernized it and i'm wondering if that's just like a consequence of like okay this puzzle in this original incarnation fit the ds sort of like hardware and just style better than it would on a single screen so we're just gonna completely change it um but is even then the game still has um like you still have a cursor that you're moving around like in place of a stylus. Um, you know, you're going up, you're like inspecting rooms for like hidden uh, either clues or objects and adding them to an inventory. You're inspecting clues. You're combining objects together and you're finding uh, 
you know, sometimes you'll find an, an object or just something in the room that will trigger a, a dormant memory for D where he'll remember something about his life. And then that propels the story on top of like Ashley's own story. Uh, but I would say like, it's, it's impressive the amount of work that they put into it. Like, again, if you look up comparison videos, you're like, okay, yeah, they, they completely overhauled this and, and, and for the better, I think. So it's and more I will like say, a remake than a remaster. Yeah, this is definitely a remake. Um, and I'm enjoying it so far. I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty deep into the first game now. I must be approaching the end just because of how long it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But, um, like I'm, I'm, I'm digging the story so far. There's been some twists and turns that I wasn't expecting. Uh, I think the puzzle solving is pretty confident and, and, or, or competent, I should say, and, and clever at points. There's a little bit of like the old school adventure game nuisances. Like there's some, like like some elements can be easy to miss if you're not if you don't have the camera positioned the right way where an object that doesn't look like it's interactable becomes interactable and you're like oh okay i i didn't think i could grab that but i guess because i was a few degrees off on my rotation it didn't highlight it or it just didn't you know didn't react to me yeah uh so there's some there's been a few times i've had to like retrace my steps to a room where it's like okay there's it's saying there's something in here i need but i i could have sworn i touched everything that i can touch and you're like oh oh this little thing in a corner i i can touch that okay i didn't i thought i looked right at it but it didn't do anything uh there aren't a ton of those moments but they do uh, rear their heads every now and then and there's also a um the default camera movement is incredibly sluggish to the point where um i highly recommend if you're playing this game to go into the options and raise the sensitivity okay for, good so there's the option yeah because i think it defaults at like 20 out of 100 and i had to jack up the this is like again this is like purely the camera movement i had to jack that thing up to 50 to get it to where i like to be (laughs) um and i i am assuming that's more of a holdover of like the stiffer style of exploration that it was on the ds or maybe they just really don't want you to miss things as you're looking around so they made you turn like a tank (laughs) Uh. um but yeah i go into the options and, and change that if you don't want to give yourself a headache but it's be- this game has kind of become my um before bed kind of cozy like oh i'm gonna play like an hour or so run around watch some cutscenes, find some stuff like i it is an enjoyable like graphic puzzle solving adventure and i i'm gonna see it through to me and it's like the story's deep enough for us like okay i, I want to see where this goes I, I like where it's going i like the characters mostly and i'm also curious to see if it just seamlessly jumps into the second game or if they if there's like a hard cut of like okay you beat this one do you want to play the sequel, because the only thing I know about the sequel is that it's set a couple of years later. So there's going to be a time gap regardless. But I, I didn't know and I couldn't find anything online of like, did they did they just make it so you have to play the first game before you can get to the second game? Or or did they straight up combine the two into a single like seamless experience? You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're. I mean, I actually love that approach, by the way, of like taking the older games and combining them into one seamless experience. Like, I think that is something that actually like blew my mind. That's what initially like made me so all about like Sonic 3 and Knuckles, for example, because I was like, okay, I played Sonic 3, I played Sonic and Knuckles. What if we just combined them into one experience that like went from one end of it all the way to the other end of it? And I do like that approach even today. But you know, the thing that kind of I'm most curious about is the the types of puzzles that we can expect from this game, because you talked about how they removed some of them, but like what type of puzzles are in there? Because like, 
I think in the trailer they showed like dropping like pieces of a bridge in place in order to like cross a, a river or something like that. But like, how complex do these puzzles get? Um, yeah, I mean, like the the, the puzzle you mentioned is literally the first thing you do in a game. Like, it's the most basic thing of like, yeah. there's a hole in the ground. Oh, there's a board over here. I'll pick it up and and cover the hole with this. Um, there's like so the camera that you have in your fake switch uh, is really useful because it lets you take pictures of like important clues so that you can reference them without having to go back to the room where it is. So like once you reach the, once you reach the problem that requires the thing you saw, you can just pull up your camera and be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is what this is. Okay. Um, there's, there was one puzzle that overlaid two photos together because they were like basically two pieces of the same hole, but like, it's a lot of, um, like, like there was one where you have to find a bunch of dinner plates that you have to arrange on a wall in a certain way. And the only clues were that you have to ins- inspect the portrait of the butler that like managed the silverware. And then, you know, it, once you arrange them a certain way, it gave you a, a combination to a lock. Like it's that kind of stuff, I guess. Huh. Um, I will say that they are all like have been pretty different so far. I haven't really seen the same idea repeat repeated that i can remember which is nice and they're they're challenging enough but like i haven't been stuck on anything like i haven't hit any walls in terms of, like i just don't know what to do here you know are they satisfying uh, though like are they like i don't know are they too all too easy or like at, at the end of it are you like okay that felt good to do i think they have a nice balance overall of like okay, okay there was enough bite here where i did have to think but it wasn't this like obtuse nightmare you know what i mean (laughs) of like this doesn't make sense like i don't understand how we got to this solution like i haven't had that moment yet uh there are some puzzles where you're like okay i i see where this is going pretty quick but then the question is like okay i i see the ending but how do i get there you know like what are they gonna Uh make me go through to get to this and then the process of getting to that is usually pretty painless like i you know like there aren't usually too many steps involved with solving a puzzle which can sometimes lead to tedium and other games like this where you're just like okay let's just do all 50 things to get to the obvious solution like they they seem to keep it pretty pretty snappy overall so i i've been satisfied so far like I, i'm usually excited to see another puzzle and, and get through it like i said this is like a good cozy game where it's like okay i'm gonna put them on thinking hat for a bit but i'm also not gonna be like staring at the screen for an hour being like i don't know what the I don't know what to do here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's always make or break for me with visual novels such as this, where it's like, I usually, like, the story is almost like, yeah, that's a good, like, way to experience a story, but, like, the puzzles are what keep me engaged. And, like, or, like, even, like, conversation trees, if you're able to engage in those types of things with, with other characters. But, like, the puzzles really make or break the experience for me. And with that, it's like, all right, well, you know, if they're they're too tedious, if they're poorly designed, if they're not satisfying, that's usually like my my one way trip out of a visual novel experience. So I'm glad to hear that you're having an overall good time with the puzzles in this one. Yeah. And this game also adds quality of life stuff like in the beginning of the game, they ask you like, hey, do you want to turn on a hint system where at any time, if you hit the uh, the minus button, you can bring up a hint that kind of nudges you towards what you should be doing next or maybe this is where you might want to go to solve the problem that you're on. So you can make the experience easier in that way. There's also even, um, I don't have, I turned this off, but 
You can have a navigation ring around Ashley where it's always pointing you towards the objective that you should be heading towards. Oh, wow. So there, there's some assist options for those that are just kind of like maybe a little more gun shy about like, oh, I don't want to have to think too much. Basically, <laughs> you know, I just want to absorb the story. So like the game takes care of you in that way. The map regularly updates um, with points of interest that tells you which doors are locked and which aren't. It tells you, you know, what important things you found in that room so you can remember like, OK, this room had this. I did this here. OK, so that's nice. So I think the game does a good job of just shaving off any rough edges that could appear or maybe did appear in the original version, which is, it's pretty nice. Well, that's good to hear. I do want to check this out eventually. I've just been playing another game for review. So I, <laughs> you know how that goes where it's, it's a very long game. So I am just spending all day and night playing that, but I will check out another code recollection. It's out now as you're listening to this on switch. And if you want to see it in action, you can go check out an episode of new gameplay today on the game informer YouTube channel. Uh, I know we have not reviewed it, Marcus. You, you gave your impressions uh, very admirably on this the show, but uh, we don't have a scored review. But it does currently have a 72 on Metacritic. So it, I'm looking at the scores, and they range from like a 50 to a 90, and okay. then like a 70 seems to be like the most like the median score almost. But yeah, 72 on Metacritic. So uh, opinions all over the place on this uh, on this release, but. We are going to take our final break of this episode, and when we get back, we'll be doing an eShop Gem of the Week, and everybody votes. We will be right back. We are back, and we are going to close out this show with the eShop Gem of the Week. Last week, I was going to do this one, but then we ended up going a little bit longer than I expected, so I decided to save it for this week. So I'll handle this one. Uh... This is a game that I bought on sale a while back, and I finally fired it up, and I have been having a really good time with it. It is called Dicey Dungeons. Mark, oh, yeah. do you know anything about this game? I haven't played it, but I, I actually have a buddy who's recommended it to me for, like, years, because I think it was on Xbox Game Pass. It might still be, actually, but I haven't I it played is. it. So basically, you are playing through these dungeons, and they're all, like, roguelike uh design and everything and as you start off you have like minimal powers and you go through these dungeons and these encounters and like each floor of the dungeon is almost like set up like a like a hub world almost like mario where it's like all right you can go left and there'll be a treasure chest there but like you also might have to fight through this extra battle to get to that treasure chest so the encounters and there's shops and there's treasure chests and everything that you can loot and then there's an exit, and that'll take you down to the next floor of the dungeon. And the, the goal is obviously to get to the bottom of it. But each time, like, you have an inventory, essentially, and then you have, like, your loadout. And your loadout is almost like Resident Evil-style inventory management, where it's like, okay, well, this spell takes up two slots, and this one takes up one, and, like, this one is a huge one, so it takes up a lot more. And you have a set number of squares that you can position these, and... Each one does like a different effect. So I have one that's like a sword attack. And then I have one that is a uh, like a battle axe. And the battle axe will do double damage, but it has to be a certain number. And these numbers, like the amount of damage you do is determined basically by actual rolls of the dice. So like you, as you start off, I think you only have one or two dice and you roll them and it's like, all right, I got a two and a four. I could cast my fire spell, but that only can be done with like odd numbers. So 
there's also a, a an option that you can have in your loadout where you can re-roll certain dice. So, all right, well, I got a two and a four. This this enemy is susceptible to fire damage. I need to get an odd number. So you can re-roll the two, and then that will make it so that, okay, well, I got a five this time. All right, well, I could do the battle axe, but I can need to be five or below, or the fire, which needs to be odd. So which one do I want to do? And you have to kind of do the calculus in your head of like, all right, well, this one will do more damage to this enemy because they're susceptible to fire. So I'll use my five roll that I got there. There's also other ones that are like, they require you to have lower numbers. And it's it's a very fun risk reward to like being like, all right, which one do I want to re-roll? And then as you progress, you get more dice that you can you can roll. And then like other enemies also, when, when you fight enemies, they also are rolling dice and applying it. And the status ailments are really just affecting their dice or affecting your dice. So there's one that's like, it makes it so your dice roll one less than you normally would roll. Or there's one that uh, makes it so that, like, burn, for example, like, they'll they'll cast burn on you, and it'll make it so that, like, in order to access one of your dice, depending on how many burns, so if you have three dice and they cast two spells of burn on you, or status elements of burn, that'll affect two of your dice. So in order to use those dice this turn, so you can choose not, you can just choose to ignore them, or you can just, like, kind of bite the bullet and select that die, that die, and it'll afflict uh, or inflict uh, HP damage to you just to access that die. So it's like okay. the kind of constant like balancing of like, all right, well, do I want to re-roll? Do I want to use this for this thing? Because, you know, you could roll a four and be like, oh, I want to do more damage. So let me roll again. But you might get a three at that point, right? Like it might be a lower roll and you only have a set number of re-rolls per, per turn. And it's turn-based combat. And then at the end of completing the dungeon you can spin a uh spin the wheel and it'll carry over certain things based on what you land on and i think there's like something like 30 dungeons you have to complete so it's pretty extensive in terms of like the content and then there's also two expansions as well that are seemingly free included with the game oh nice so it's like there's one that's like a halloween themed uh dicey dungeons and then there's another one that is like the reunion i think it's called where it's like I don't know. It's I guess the characters that you encounter in the first one, uh, in like the the base game. <laughs> Excuse me, but uh, yeah, it came out on Switch in 2020. It's also on pretty much every other platform, but it's fifteen dollars, so it's not that big of an investment. And I've been having a blast with it. Like I think that it would probably be one of my favorite games of 2020 if I played it in 2020. But yeah, we can go back and update the list if you want. Yeah, let's go back and do that. Uh, I'll get right on that. Uh, updating that list because it's very important that people go back and read my favorite games of 2020 but no it's yes. it's a very fun game highly recommend it and it also it, it seems to be on sale pretty regularly i think just two weeks ago it was down to like five dollars so uh if you don't want to drop the 15 dollars, the uh just wait for a sale add it to your wish list that's always the hot tip for these eShop gems is like add it to your wish list and then nintendo will literally email you to tell you when your games are on sale. That is like the best thing that I have started doing. It's also the worst thing because I've spent a lot more money than I probably want to. Yeah, but... I like the worry they were. Their emails are like, good news about a game on your wish list. And they're <laughs> like, well, oh, what's the good news? And you're like, oh, it's on sale. That's that's always the good news. Yeah, when exactly. I say it's on sale, I was like, now if you say like, we're giving it to you for free, that's the great news. That would be amazing news. Yeah, like, should... hey, you just own this now. Surprise. They should, they should do that more often. Like, Give Merry Christmas. Games. Yeah, they just give us stuff for free. Come on. Yeah. We deserve it. That? You see the hellscape that we exist in on a day-to-day -day basis? 
Yeah, y'all all got to play that broken Pokemon game. Y'all should compensate <laughs> me for that. <laughs> Marcus, we are going to close out this episode with the return of Everybody Votes. Have you ever been on an episode for Everybody Votes? I think you might have been on the inaugural episode, if I recall. Do I? I don't remember what it is. Remind me. So uh, basically, I put out a poll on uh, the the platform formerly known as Twitter, asking people questions about a topic, and then uh, we, we weigh in our ourselves here. Okay. So uh, the topic this time, Marcus, is which Zelda game would you most like to see a modern remake of? Ooh. So the options I gave people, Ocarina of Time, Oracle of Ages slash Seasons, the original Legend of Zelda from NES, or Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link? Oh, I know my answer. Go for it. It's Zelda 2. Really? That's the one I've, I've been always wanting secretly and would be the most interesting just because that game is so, I mean, depending on how much patience you have, it is so incomprehensible sometimes. And it is, it's just a hard game. Like it's, I've tried every like several years, I will take another stab at Zelda two and then I tap out. Uh, and I would love to see them go back to that because it's the only one that's like a side scrolling action game. So I would love to see like, do they still, do they still make it a side scroller or do they like completely remake it of, of like, it's a third person action game of like, like, like kind of what they did with like Hyrule Warriors or at least what, you know, Omega Force did. Like, I'm not saying make it a Musou game, but like, you know, we've seen a third person action Zelda game before. Um, and like, I would love to see them like what puzzles they would re rework or which ones they would keep the same. Would they keep the, the weirdness of like I am error and all that stuff? Uh, and also just because it's such a it's such a weird in, like point in Zelda's history of like it, this was before the conventions had been established, which is why they completely threw out what they did with the first game <laughs> yeah. when they did Zelda 2 and then immediately ran back to what they did. Like, oh, OK, maybe this is like maybe people really like what we did with that first game more than what we did here. Uh, and also it'd be cool to see like Dark Link, you know, redone like Dark Link Duck fight. <laughs> yes exactly um, <laughs> see I, I think out of like easily zelda 2 is the most interesting because they already remade ocarina with the 3ds one and you could argue that breath of the wild is basically zelda one as a remake you know uh the orca games would be cool but like yeah I, zelda 2 i think pretty handedly for me so thinking of it from a selfish perspective and just like wanting to play a better version of one of my favorite games of all time. My pick would be Ocarina of Time. However, from an objective standpoint of like what game most needs a remake, I'm with you. Zelda 2. Because that game and that that's uh part of what they were trying to do with Ocarina of Time was they were making Zelda 2 style stuff. Like they were they were trying to remake Zelda 2 essentially in 3D. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because I mean, that is a third person action game. But yeah, so I think Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link would be something that would do the most for the franchise, right? Like in terms of like giving, like making the most progress on a game, right? Because like Ocarina of Time, if you go back and play it, there are definitely like a lot of growing pains associated with that, like being that. It was one of the trailblazers of 3D action games. Yeah. But it's still very playable. It's still a very good game. Yeah. Zelda 2 just... is is rough to go back to today. 
Yeah, I would almost wonder, like, because of how hard Zelda is, and Nintendo would never do this, probably. But like, what if they turn Zelda two in like a Souls like kind of thing? Of, like, Don't you into, dare! Like, lean into the difficulty aspect of like just make. I'm not saying you have to have the same like progression, but like just make it really hard. <laughs> I mean, the, the the death screen in Zelda two feels like a Souls game, right? Where it's like instead of just saying you died, it was like, what is it? The Return of Ganon. <laughs> oh, is that what I yeah like if you die I, I like that's ganon's only appearance in zelda 2 is you die like a silhouette right yeah and it's like an orange screen i think and right it just like it's like return of ganon because like that's yeah. the whole point is like you're trying to prevent the his followers from resurrecting him after his defeat in zelda 1 yeah man i would and you know what's also it would be interesting nintendo acknowledge it because i feel like it's it's interesting to me it's always been fascinating that zelda 2 and at least the u.s version of mario 2 are the two like odd ducks in their respective franchises that nintendo only kind of acknowledges every now and then and it's like i would love to see both of those games get like modern remakes or early spiritual successors but you're like they probably never will right like zelda 2's they're like yeah we did that we tried that once and then we said never again <laughs> so, it's so interesting I, to me that like certain characters from mario 2 have carried over but everything else has been completely retconned right or not retconned yeah, but like we, ignored like shy guys they're suddenly like a part of the mario mythos yeah it's like shy guy and birdo are kind of the only things they birdo and uh the ninjas the little like okay. little star guys but it's like, I mean, I was always bugged that they never put Mario 2 stuff in Mario Maker. I'm yeah. Like, give us like, put like, you know, how cool it would be to make a level and you could put Fanto in there and just have God, Fanto. No, it wouldn't be people. cool. That, 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 <laughs> that guy sucks. I hate Fanto. Exactly. I would love to t just ruin people's lives with just putting Fanto all over the place. <laughs> they, um, well, I mean, there's speculation that if Mario Maker 2 did better, they were going to add that as another style. But instead, what they did was they added the mushroom post-launch that turned you into, like, the Mario 2 sprite. See, I, I, honestly, they should have done that in reverse of, like, if that game led with, hey, we put Mario 2 stuff in here, I, I bet it would have done better. Because it would have been a, enough of a difference from the first game. You know what I mean? Like, hey. Yeah. And plus, people were begging. But they just said at launch, like, yeah, we got Mario 2 stuff from the beginning. I, I bet there would have been more excitement around it. Maybe, but also that's a lot more work. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I mean, honestly, I think that's what happened with that. But uh, so the results of this poll, uh, which Zelda game would you most like to see a modern remake of? What do you think won? Uh, probably Ocarina, because everybody loves Ocarina. You are correct. 53% uh, so of the vote, Ocarina of Time, runaway winner. So do we not acknowledge that the 3DS remake did that does no one i mean we remember to, that you have to think about it that, that's what that's almost a decade and a half old now i mean yeah but like didn't it do a really good job of remaking that game i never played it but i remember hearing from people like oh yeah they they pretty much nailed it right? yeah they did but at the same time like it's not available on modern platforms i mean true yes it's been dead I, for I, how many years I, seven years in my head, that would seem like the least exciting one because it's like, oh, they did, they did that, they did it. <laughs> you can go play that right now. <laughs> but that was more of a like a reskinning of the entire game, and then they massaged certain parts of it, like the water temple and like the the items and everything. That like certain items are easier to switch on and off, like the boots. 
they were made items instead of like gear. So you didn't have to go into the pause screen every single time. You could just hit a button to turn it on and off. Right. That was I would say that would veer closer to a remaster than a remake. Whereas like this is like a full on remake, like kind of, you know, what you would expect from a modern Zelda game, but with the the story and progression and everything of the original. Like like what we got with a Link's Awakening, right? Right. Like Which, that's what we're looking at. Though even then Link's Awakening was I mean, obviously it was a graphical overhaul, but a lot of unless I'm forgetting, like a lot of that game was pretty much one to one. Yeah, it it was. Really, like, it wasn't like this reinvention of it. It's like we made it look nicer and shaved off some rough edges. So it was more or less the same as approach as the Ocarina, you know, 3ds. I guess remake, whatever we want to call it. Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe a little bit more because the modernization. Because they also had to they they could account for multiple face buttons instead of just the two that were on the Game Boy, which was a huge quality of life improvement. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah, Oracle of Ages and Seasons was 17%, number two. Zelda 2 was number three at 16%, and then the original Legend of Zelda was the last entry with 14%. I also no, would... The real good, the secret answer is Link's Awakening. Or not Link's Awakening, I'm sorry. A Link to a link Between Worlds. I was just about to say that, Marcus. That, that is actually... Uh, one that I would love to see, but I, I think that you could just port that over, just make it higher resolution visuals and port it over, and that you were good. Just I mean, that's like, fine too. I, I just, I just, I just want that game on Switch. Love whatever, that game whatever it so takes. much. <laughs> whatever it takes, Nintendo, just please do it. Yes, uh, one of the greatest Zelda games of all time, and somehow underappreciated. Yeah, it's weird, right? Because it's like it's not like the 3DS didn't sell like a zillion copies. So a lot of people played that game, presumably. Um, but yeah, it does feel like somewhat forgotten. Yeah, somehow. I don't know why. I guess because Breath of the Wild was the next Zelda game after it, and it just completely overtook everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we also uh, got Wind Waker Twilight Princess HD around that time. I guess yeah, that was a couple need... years later, but yeah. yeah. Put some respect on Link Between Worlds' names, everyone. Yes, 100%. I was actually going to put a Link to the Past in this poll, but then I was like, oh wait, no, I need to include Oracle of Ages and Seasons. That, that needs a remake before Link to the Past, but yeah. Marcus, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, throw all things Nintendo a five-star review and hit that subscribe button. If you want to get any questions or comments in, you can get in touch with me at allthingsnintendo at gameinformer.com or mess- message me on social media at Brian Pichet. You can also join the Game Informer Community Discord, which is a perk for subscribing to our Twitch channel even just for one month. Marcus, tell everyone where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MarcusStewart7. I'm also on Blue Sky at the same name, though I, I haven't logged in in months because I keep forgetting I have a Blue Sky. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's probably very boring to follow me there. That is our show for this week. Thank you again so much for listening. Take care. We'll see you next time.